been game playing this for basically a year now. We know it's coming. Um, and so it doesn't take a lot to know that when you pull the ball, it really messes up the runner and, and the hitter. So uh, the pitcher has complete control of the situation and dictates the pace now. So, uh, you know, with the ability to also call pitches well, I can either work extremely quick or extremely slow and then really change the pace of this. Well, Major League Baseball's brave new future, brave new world, whatever you want to call it, arrived this weekend. That was Max Scherzer of the New York Mets talking about his first experience in a game with the pitch clock and also pitchers using pitch comm, something that's been experimented with this spring. Pitchers can now use it and call pitches uh, instead of having catchers using it and call pitches. Now, <laughs> you look at the Blue Jays' two games this spring. Saturday's 9 Five win over the uh, or nine seven win over the Pirates was two hours and forty seven minutes. Yesterday's nine five loss to the Yankees was three hours and five minutes. The Jays games were amongst the slowest in baseball. Having said that, Kevin Barker will be joined later in the show by our friend Jeff Pass, and I think the average so far has been two thirty seven, two thirty eight, yeah. something like that. Two thirty compared to as John Schneider said uh, yesterday a game that would have probably taken four hours um, under the under the old rules. So it's, I, I think it's a little early to talk about the bigger bases and the shift. I didn't, I would be lying if I said I paid particular attention to the new shift rules. I did think, and, and Buck Martinez made this point yesterday during his conversation with uh, Ben Wagner during the, the telecast of the Jays game. There was a play where I thought it looked like the Yankees uh, Anthony Volpe had kind of got caught in between, and maybe there was a little bit of uncertainty. But the focus initially was always going to be in the pitch clock. That's the big thing we've been talking about in terms of pace of play. So I will ask you, Kevin, two games, and yes, they are spring training games. Two games in, your general thoughts on the pitch clock. Your your general thoughts on things you noticed from hitters versus things you noticed from pitchers. I, I will admit, the pitchers, I thought the pitchers, based on what, and I, I looked around at different games, and of course I watched the Jays game, the pitchers really did try to take advantage of the clock. Didn't they? Yeah, maybe. I, I love it. I, I think it's awesome that a first ballot Hall of Famer is actually thinking this through to try and get an advantage. You know, I can just see this in a playoff game when when it matters the most and he's trying to get a big L, whether he takes his time or he's in a hurry. Now, I, I do understand something about the eight seconds and mm-hmm. you better have your eyes up against guys who know what they're doing. You know, we're not so much thinking about mechanics and have all that stuff figured out or trying to play little mind games with good hitters when it matters the most. So that's the only thing I thought of when Max was talking about that is make sure you have your eyes on your target. You know, if you're digging in, dig in with your eyes up on the on the pitcher and yeah. you'll combat that a little bit so i like that back and forth a little bit just to put it in a hitter's mind that i'm actually thinking about it and i can i can probably use this to my advantage but i love it to answer your yeah. your question just to say it bluntly i thought it was amazing i just i think there's a a still a little bit of that back and forth between umpire and player mm-hmm. I, I i just don't think there's a ton of love lost between those two parties there were- I think that is for me the biggest issue, and I don't even want to say that's an issue because this is more they're just they're just you know saying the rule and, and right. 
living out the rule and you have to deal with it, but it's how they present were, it. And I think that's something they need to work through. That's all. Apparently, <clears throat> pardon me, apparently a couple of umpires were giving players, you know, hurry up. We're giving them. Yeah, cues, I'm not sure that's going to work. Let, let me finish. I'm not, I'm saying give them, and they're not, apparently they're not supposed to do that. Yeah, the umpires like that are either. not supposed to tell the players, hurry up. Uh, it's but you're right. It's going to come down to look. Umpires are, are are different. There's different personalities. There are going to be guys who are going to approach that. Yeah, who are going to approach that differently. But um, tell you a know, dude that's struggling to hurry up. You're not going to like the answer he gives you. Yeah. Well, he, he just may, keep your mouth shut. If it, if I if I don't do it the right way, it's my fault. Don't tell me to hurry up. That's what I'm talking about. I think what he's about. saying is the yes. the hurry up is to let the hitter know that that he's that he's. This is why they're doing this in spring training, so you can work all this out. Uh, the Jays, I thought an interesting article from Shai Davidi talking about what the Jays have, how the Jays have sort of figured this out. And we'll talk about the games this weekend in, in a minute. But uh, Shai made an interesting point about how the Jays as a staff are discussing having their pitchers come set by the eight second mark and then varying the timing from there. In other words, to, 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 to kind of standardize it a little bit, every pitcher will be set. Mm-hmm. With eight seconds, and then if they want to go right away, or you want to wait three seconds, or you want to wait six seconds and take a shot, basically try to make hitters more impatient. We saw in yesterday's game, I think, um, the impact of the pitch clock on a guy that I think both of us agreed People are focusing a lot on Kevin Gossman, Alec Manoa. To me, the guy who could be most affected by this is Jordan Romano. And um, we saw Jordan Romano yesterday incorporate a slide step and pick off a uh, pick off a base runner at second base. I think it was Michael Michael Hermosillo at second base. Well, I made a note of it because I I wouldn't I wouldn't recognize him otherwise, but. That, to me, see, those are the things you're going to watch, I think we're going to watch for in spring training, is how it affects certain guys. Because I'm with you. These guys are athletes. Eventually, they'll figure it out. But it's the pitchers who've got, you know, like Framber Valdez, right? The pitchers who've got a lot of movement. Uh, In Jordan Romano's case, you know, thank God at least he doesn't squat down Mm -hmm. like he used to, you know, as much as he used to. Yeah. But those are the things I'm watching for with, with the with the pitch I, I think the more you think about the Jordan yeah. Romano thing, it's the slide step as much as he, I don't want to say abuses his slider, but he uses it a lot. Yeah. And when you slide step, you do something different that may change the release point, which will leave the slider in places you don't want it to be left. But he and is. And that for me is, I think, the biggest key. I'm not sure, sure it's a as big a deal as we make it out to be. I, I the, the more you watch him, the more you look at him, the more you look at all these other guys – I just I I like the way Petey is sort of saying, come set with eight seconds, take all the guesswork out of it, and then you can sort of and be you can your play own around guy. with it, yeah. absolutely. So that way you're not thinking about it. Yeah. I'm ready at eight seconds. Their eyes are on my eyes. I'm ready to go. I want to throw the pitch where I want it to go, and now I can do what I want to do to change it up and and you know disrupt their timing. So I sort of like that part of it. I, it's. Again, I just think it's the relationship between the umpire and the player. I, that, for me, I think will be the biggest well, we already saw, thing in all of this. We already saw a game kind of decided by it, uh, Saturday game between the uh, Braves and the Red Sox. Uh, ended in a 6-6 tie when uh, John, I think John Libka was the home plate umpire 
Uh, and he called uh, he he called a strike on Cal Conley with the bases loaded, two out, uh, to end the game. Now, you know, let, let's be clear. Cal Conley last year was at A ball and high A ball, and he was in the Arizona Fall League. So, I mean, he's he has been used to the pitch clock. He's playing under it. But, you know, a lot of people got their panties tied up in a knot about that. And 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 the fact of the matter is that it, it's easy to, cal, to call Cal Connolly out in that situation. Maybe a little harder to call Cal Raleigh out or, or to call a, a third strike in Cal Raleigh. But at least, I, I mean, I'm surprised. I went through and looked at, at a lot of the games, Kevin. I'm, I'm surprised at how little blowback there was in the first weekend to this. Manny Machado got called early. But guys seem to really... Yeah, Max Scherzer said it. It's not like this has been a surprise to these guys. I, I think that's they're, right. They're mentally prepared for it. That's right. There, there's going to be some ups and downs in this. This is why I said the communication factor between the umpire and the player is never been bigger, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the, the love fair between those two is just not there. I was a player once. I just A lot of the times, you just don't like them. And the way they present it and like the hurry up thing, now you do your job, I'll do yeah. mine. It's that sort of thing. But yeah, I... I think just the optics of the whole thing, right? It's when you turn your TV on and you see the clocks in the both right right handed corner, left handed corner of the TV screen. You like that? I didn't. That it's not on every game, right? Well, here, so here's, I think that's an adjustment that needs to be made. It was one of one of the Blue Jays games, and that was the the yeah. Pirates telecast. We'll have to talk to. We'll, I wasn't a fan of that. We'll talk to Passon about this because my understanding is if you saw the game from Bradenton and it was produced by the Pirates uh, telecast. You could see the clock on either side of home plate. If you saw the game from Dunedin, you couldn't. The clock is a little farther away. Now, I, and I watched a couple of telecasts where, and I like this personally. You know, normally I don't like crap in the screen. I'm the guy that thinks the strike zone is for, is, you know, is for the intellectually impaired, to be honest. Um, but I take offense to that. I... A couple of TV, a couple of telecasts had the pitch timer right below the score on the bug. And when it got to zero, it flashed red. So I kind of like that. I would rather see it on the screen as opposed to seeing what Little you're actually like, seeing in the stadium. You have to have it on the screen somewhere. What, what is too much? Is it too much to have you see both of them? No, I don't. I'm with you. You, I, you have to figure that out. Again, this is everybody's you're, you're going through this together. Yeah. But it was a bit much, right? Yeah, it's, it's a it's it, a it, shock it to you to turn on the TV because I stopped looking at who's hitting, who's throwing, who's catching, who's exactly, umpiring. Exactly. I started looking more at that clock, and That's, I don't like that. No, I, I'm I, with that you. That was me, and I love baseball, but I didn't like that, and I caught myself doing that, especially when you're seeing a a max against a you know a great hitter. Yeah. You want to be more watching that than you do the clock. All right, let, so I think that's something they need to figure out too. Um, Small let, thing, yeah. Let's but work. they need to figure it out. Yeah, and I'm sure, and I'm sure they will. You know, I think by Fingers and large, crossed. by and large, I think the first weekend was probably probably success in that regard. All right, let's talk about the games. A reminder that this afternoon's game is on radio. Uh, the Jays are in Northport to play the Atlanta Braves, and if you're going down to this game, my guess is you're a Buffalo Bison nice. season ticket holder. This is the Blue Jays I was lineup. One of those people. Be I'm nice. not. I Be am. Nice. I, I know this has got Barker Say written it with all some over. energy. This has got Barker I'd written be all over. Backing up one of these guys. Yeah, you would be. I know. <laughs> This is Barker, got Barker written all over it. The lineup is as follows. Energy. Es- Espinal, Horwitz, Lucas, Lopez, Jimenez, Capra, Bernard, Berman, and Clark. Other than Espinal and Lucas and maybe Lopez, if you see any of those guys this year, it's not been a good year. Drew Hutchinson will start 
for the Blue Jays. Jose Barrios gets the start tomorrow. Uh, the Jays, as we mentioned, 9-5 losers to the New York Yankees yesterday. Uh, a little bit of the bullpen of the future and the bullpen of the present. We saw two young arms the organization is very excited with, Hayden Yanger and, uh, and Hagen Danner. Hayden Yanger and Hagen Danner. Get that right. Boy. Hagen Danner, the guy was a catcher, went back to pitching, hit 97 with his fastball, 86-mile-an-hour slider. There's a lot of people in the organization who say that this guy has got a chance to be one of those one of those swing and miss dudes in the bullpen. Um, the other relievers who pitched yesterday of significance, Tim Meza, Jordan Romano, and Nate Pearson. Lance, do you have the clip from John Schneider talking about Tim Meza and Jordan Romano? I want to play that well, and then we'll talk about Nate Pearson because a lot of people are getting excited that he hit 100. Anyhow, let's uh, play the Schneider clip, please, Lance. Uh, yeah, I thought they were good. You know, first outing is always, you know, you're trying to just get your feet underneath you. I thought Timmy, you know, threw well his slider. We're looking at shape right now, which was great. Um, and Jordy was, you know, kind of him, you know, coming out pretty hot. It was great that he had the pick at second as well as, you know, what he did on the mound. A little PFP action for him too, but he looked great. Um, so, yeah, good start for those guys. Yeah, and uh, the big thing about uh about Jordan Romano is, and, and he goes on, Schneider goes on to talk about using the slide step and think he yeah, was yeah. 1.28 to home plate, and they're trying of, to cut that. A lot of people may not understand what shape means. It's more about tunnel and break, where you can actually, when you're watching it, tell that it's a slider. Right. Like, they're looking more at that than they are velocity, location, those kind of things. This early in the season, mm. you sort of know what you're going to get from Tim Mesa. So, a lot of people, even me, like, you you hear these guys talk about shape, and uh, yeah, it's a lot of... You're doing a lot of this mm-hmm. <laughs> eye wash kind of thing, but it's a uh, look. I, I think you saw what you needed to see from guys that you needed to see it from. Nate Pearson, uh, seven batters face, two hits, two walks, three strikeouts. Everybody got excited. He threw 101 miles an hour to strike out Josh Donaldson, who's been cheating the fastball for the last two and a half years. I mean, I know he hates me saying that because he's listening. Yeah, he's old. You have to. Most humans have to cheat when you uh, get a little older to velocity. Unleashed a wild pitch. What did you What did you make of uh, of Nate Pearson? Because to me, the two arms that I was looking at this weekend, right, the two arms that I was really interested in were Nate Pearson and Yusei Kikuchi. Everything else is going to take know care when of itself. Do you explain to me when you're going to use Nate Pearson? Explain to me that uh, the, a blowout well, early in a he, game. Here's the thing: injury. The when are you going to use him? Sixth the, inning, seventh uh, inning, when you got the lead at home? Well, no, for me, for me, Nate Pearson has to be good enough has to be good enough to be a guy that you bring in to get a strikeout. He has to be. And, and, if, and if he can't do that, and listen, I understand. they got to make a decision on this. This guy's not 21 years old anymore. Robert I don't Smith even think he's a prospect. Robert Smith. No, he's not. Right? Nah, he's not a prospect. they got to make a call on this guy at some point. So if he can't do that for you, then to me, he becomes a change of scenery. To me, he becomes a change of scenery guy. If he doesn't make my team this year, he becomes a change of scenery guy. Does he have a good enough slider or curveball to throw for strike one? Does he have a good enough slider or curveball consistently to eliminate a really good hitter? I don't know. Does he have a good enough fastball? Now, I do like the conviction the way he threw it yesterday. At least he threw it. Like he wasn't, I'm going to massage it in there. No, he threw it. Now he doesn't always always know where it's going to go, but it's the it's the totality of what you're going to get you know from him. All I, those things, and when he gets traffic on the bases, I want him though. I want him to not always know where it's going to go. I want that, that little bit that of fear. Again, well, I want that again, little bit of fear. That gets back to when would you ever yeah, use it? I, I listen. You're 
And that's something you got to You need predictability. You're yeah. trying to win a championship. I need, When yes. are you going to use him? I, Do you feel comfortable giving him the ball on a one-run lead at home? No, I don't. To the bottom of the order? I don't. Uh, bottom of the order. Well, Would you? I need to see more. I, listen, I, I said, no, no, no. I said, I, said, I said last year, I just, Nate Pearson, when he's ready to give me something, he'll give me something. Until then, I'm not going to get excited. I'm not going to get disappointed. Uh, 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 he, he, to me, he's again, he's one spring training away from Here. becoming a change of scenery guy. That, come and that's talk, all I like. Come and talk to me like. when he throws 10 fastballs in a row and they're all 100 plus. Okay, I'm with then you. Then come and talk to me. I'm with you. You say Kikuchi got the start in a 9-7 win over the Pirates. Two innings pitched, no earned runs, five strikeouts, no walks, 33 pitches, 20 strikeouts, uh, and lots of excitement. Well, I shouldn't say lots of excitement. Some excitement about him. 17 teacher, breaking teacher. balls. Yeah, just hang on. Seven misses and three strikes. Kevin, though, his fastball. I only, was going to ask you. Only two of eight for strikes. I don't care about that. I okay. want to know where the velocity's at. Why is it 92-94? Can you explain that to me? Because, again, I hate to keep bringing this up, but whenever he faced the Blue Jays when he was a Mariner, they were coming back, and I talked to those, some of those guys. They were saying it's the nastiest stuff they'd ever seen, and it was 98-99 with movement. Where'd that at? Why is it 92-94? Yeah. Again, if you can, you're going to see it. Like, what better time now to see the new Yusei Kikuchi? Like, when we, like, I don't care if it's the first start of, the, of a spring training game when basically, well, he's trying to establish himself now and you're, and you're on facing, a contending team. And you're facing a crap lineup. I don't care. I don't think it has, it matters. No, but I'm saying, if well, you It might matter about the 14 swing and misses because I know John Snyder said the, the most he had last year was 15. Yeah. He was real in a hurry to tell everybody that, which is, that's what you're trying to do, right? Yeah. You're trying to sell it to everybody that we want him as our fifth guy. I just question. Because the slider's not always great, and that split change, I don't have any idea what that is thing is, because when it's 87, it's not moving, and when your fastball's topping out at 92, that's why you do the math. That's five-mile-an-hour difference. Like, I don't know. I just, I wonder that, right? Like, okay, if he's only going to give you five innings, why yeah. ain't he airing it out for five innings? Not, is that all he's got in the tanks, 92-94? Yeah, to me, not getting your tits lit up against the Pittsburgh Pirates in the first game of spring training doesn't, doesn't, I mean, I guess you could say that it's a, that it's a. No, I did hear the shape it's word. it's a victory. Like the shape on the slider was yeah. better, and he had two different ones. He could change his speeds, and I, okay. I mean, he's left-handed. He can throw hard. Where's the velocity at? That's the only thing that I question. And I'm rooting for him because everybody oh, they need to him. They, he's a good kid, and, 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 and they need him. They need him. Like, they, like, the, like the depth that they have, let's be honest. When it, After the fifth guy, it's yeah. you're piecing the 170 innings together. We've yeah. had this conversation already. Yeah, Mitch White so is, you're hoping is that he's going to give you 120, 125 innings, and they're decent. You really don't want to be in a position where you're going, God, we can't wait for Mitch White to get back. You don't ever want to be in that in that position. I, hey, Vladdy can apparently still hit. Pitch clock, no Pitch clock. Well, he's, hit, he's, got a, he's hit a couple, couple of bombs. speed pitches to, to left center, which is a excellent thing. Like, yes. he's not pulling that. He's not Especially out around Especially that new it. ballpark. You know, mm. he's got link to his swing. That fruition of that gather that you talk about, I mean, he's elite. Like, yeah. why, how many more times can we continue to say Vladimir Guerrero Jr. says hitters don't grow on trees? And I think we're starting to see, and Buck Martinez said it right yesterday, if he stays healthy, he's going to hit 50. Especially Matt those, Chapman. Especially in those, you moving the fences in at the Rogers yeah. Center? Matt Chapman, Mr. Barker, apparently. Listens to Blair and Barker? I don't know about that. He listens to you. He should. Seems to have found a bit of a trigger. Saw a little bit of a toe tap. Now, I and, and a two-strike approach, uh, which, you know, two-strike approach to me, it's it's 
kind his of a mental thing. His approach is what he did last year. It, Thank so you. you have to look at that as right. Is it a two-strike approach, or is it what you did for six hundred at bats last year? Yeah. Okay. So it's That's not. Fair. You have to. You have to look at it a little bit backwards, I think. But the toe tap, is that enough? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it's a, still a work in progress. You could tell it's a little bit of a hurry thing, right? He's trying to figure out when to get in your athletic position. Now, is he a guy? Well, is let me ask you this: Could the pitch clock? Screw up guys who are trying to experiment yeah, with stuff like that. I don't think so. That. That's getting both feet and eyes on the okay. target. Like, that has nothing to do with your lower All half. Right. It may help a guy like that, right, where you don't overthink. He's a thinker, right? He's running back after an at-bat, talking to a coach and flipping the iPad. Yeah. Like, he's that guy. Maybe that will help him not do that anymore, right? I work on it so much in a cage. Just be a habit now. Like, his, for me, why he strikes out and why they like throwing the elevated fastball, his eyes move, his heads move, because he didn't have a trigger. Like, you want to get something, momentum back to get separation so your head and your eyes don't move so much, which makes the ball mm -hmm. move, which you could tell where now that I can lay off a pitch that I can lay off of so I can get barrel two and hit the ball hard to where I, the way I want to hit it and where I want to ultimately have it end up. I... It's just that consistency of the athletic position. That's why you add momentum. It helps your head stay still. It helps you consistently get in an athletic position. You talk about the rubber band effect all the time. Why you have something going back. Is it easier to walk away from your back foot to your front foot easier? Like it's just, it's something like a, nobody, unless you're Ken Griffey, and he had the hand wiggle. Right, that's even harder because he was straight up and down, and the just that's elite stuff. I hate to, you know, I don't want to say this in a bad way. No offense to Matt Chapman, he's not that. So he could tell you he wants to feel his lower half more. He wants to feel anchored. He wants to feel the separation, which allows his eyes to stay still, where it's not moving so much. Hands go with the eyes, right? When you stand straight up and down, and you're going to your target without movement back. That's where the barrel goes underneath your hands. That's when your eyes are moving and you can't tell up and down. What's his mm. weakness is strikes up and down. That's why you see pitchers attacking him up, and that's why the strikeouts have went up. He's trying to put more balls in play. He understands he puts the ball in play, he hits the ball hard. And to do that, you have to lay off certain pitches and certain counts. I like the attempt. Now it's just hopefully they give him enough at-bats in spring training that he's able right. to go up there and figure out the bad parts of it. So when he the season starts, he can get the ground running and contribute. I want to talk about Addison Barger in a minute, but I've neglected to... Uh, Hulk Hogan. There you go. I've neglected to uh, mention this. The uh, Blue Jays announced today they've hired James Click as vice president of baseball strategy. I'm reading from the press release. In this role, he'll join the baseball operations leadership team. Working closely with general manager Ross Atkins and department heads in strategic planning, decision-making, and evaluation, he will work across both professional amateur levels to identify best practices, develop plans, and implement strategies. He joins the club after three seasons as general manager of the Houston Astros, including winning the World Series in 2022. He previously spent 15 years with the Boo! Tampa Bay Rays and was appointed the team's vice president of baseball operations in 2017. He's a graduate of Yale the University in 2000. Uh, this is a general manager, Kevin, who has won a World Series, won it last year, uh, split with the Houston Astros, and you know, to, to give you the, the, the distilled version, and basically lost a power struggle to a bunch of Astros alumni, 
and ownership sided with folks like Jeff Bagwell and uh, said to James Click, well, if you want to come back, you can have a one-year contract. James Click said, nah, thanks. So James Click is now working with Ross Atkins. James Click is a general manager who's won the World Series. What are you saying, Jeff? I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering. Do you think... Do you think... I think we understand why this hiring was made. I mean, he brings a lot of, of He's knowledge. He's been in the underground city. He's Jeff. been in the underground city. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm just wondering, does this put a little pressure on, on no, Ross Atkins? No question. He's a human being. There is no question. Yeah. There is no question. That's, that's the case. But if you're the organization, this is genius. I mean, right. You're coming from the Astros who have, no matter what you think about the banging, and, and they've been doing some things but let's, there. And let's put this out there. He was not with the organization. Because I had somebody in Twitter say, I guess we have to run and get new garbage cans. And can, it took you about, you know, 10 seconds to come up with it. Uh, he was not part of that. He was actually brought in to help clean house. Yeah. So, yeah, there we are. Uh, it's an interesting hire. Now, you know, the Jays had Ben Charrington around for the longest time, and he's a guy who went on to become a general manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And, I mean, there was no, there was never any sense that there was a push and pull there. But uh, James Click has a pedigree. And I give the Jays credit. Pick two organizations you want to copy. You could do worse than the Rays. Well, I wonder, too, eliminating the shift, right? You need more minds. Yes. You, you, you got to figure it out now. Like, um, I, you know, how did you ever do it before the, all of this? But this is, again, you know, when you've had guys that are available like him from organization who do nothing but win, mm. you want to get all that information you can get. And who better to be the king of khakis than him? Before we... <laughs> you knew I was going to get that. I knew man. you were going to get the king of khakis. <laughs> the khakis have a new king. All hail the king of khakis. Yeah, he's hey. been in the underground city. I want to talk about Addison. He knows the route I've been to get dying there. to talk about Addison Barger. Well, he's your new favorite. Well, you know, uh, gee, a left-hand hitting infielder uh, who looks like he can hit with power, who has gotten better every year he's in the minors, who can play third, short, and folks think second base. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know what third base is going to look, look like next year if Matt Chapman leaves. Second base, right now it's Whit Merrifield. We've talked about this organization wanting more balance, and it's nice to have left-handed hitters. Better to have left-handed hitters that can put a ball over the wall. Think he's playing to make the team, or you think he's playing to be the first guy called up? <sighs> That's the question you got to ask yeah. yourself. Because he's taking three guy spots, right? It'd be a Kevin Biggio, Espinal, or, I mean, to, or to me, Nathan Lukes. I, I, I'm one of those guys that believes if you're going to be a bench player, you got to be able to. A bench player in any team has to be able to play shortstop and second, to me. Well, it'd be nice to, to be me. leg kicking it to your ear and hit a three run homer late well, in the game. That'd be nice, too. I was going to ask you this, though. Uh, and again, I know we're up against it, and I want to get Jeff Pass in here, so we will take a break. And DMs are open, by the way. We want to get your thoughts on the pitch clock. But, um, that Ichiro, and he admits, he, he was a, a guy who uh, was a switch hitter, ditch switch hitting. He's a natural righty, ditch switch hitting, left-handed hitter, adopted the Ichiro lay. He admits, I watched, you know, I watched what the Japanese baseball guys were doing, and, um, and, and, and I, I adapted that. that. That big leg kick, like, it worked for Ichiro. You think it could work I mean, for this guy? Let's not get crazy with the comparison. No, here. no, no. But I, I'm saying, I, I yeah, but I'm saying, it. It yeah. Good. He tried it one time in a cage, and it's it's why pretty cool. Why would that I used to try and be King Griffey Jr. Oh, let me time. ask this: Why would that feel good to a hitter? 
to have I th- the big I think lead it's kick. An, I think it's an easy move where you don't have to think about it a whole lot. I mean, you kick it to your ear, you know, you get it. Okay. As long as you're getting it down on time and you're somewhat balanced, yeah, right. It's it's he has sort of an issue of chasing his young guy, right? I mean, hmm. I, 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 be careful here how I talk about him because he is young and he's gotten better every level and he's that's went to. Odd sometimes I to would see think that. So. Isn't I would it? think so, but maybe he's found something that works for him. That, that's the whole point here, right? Refining who he is. The walks I, I would think need to go up a little bit. Somewhat using the whole field. You don't want to take away mm-hmm. who the kid is. The whole field for me could be left center to right field line. Don't have to be line to line because those humans aren't born all the time. And and the two strike approach. You saw yesterday he got two strikes, hit that double to right center. He ain't got a two strike approach. Like it's it's frisky. I'm a big giant human. Two strikes. What? I'm not changing anything. So you wonder about all of that, and you wonder too if you say I'm hypothetical. Say he made the team. He sat over there for three days. Would that leg kick work? That's yeah. And could that's, he do it mentally? That's a so question. I'm just not sure. I know it's fun to talk about, and it gives him options. And that's why I said, is he is he playing here to make the team or be the first guy called up? I've been in that situation. I know how that feels, and he can't control that. But I wonder that. That's a good question to ask. Addison Barger was two for four with two runs and a home run over the weekend. Jeff Passan is ESPN's MLB insider. He'll join us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Breaking down the top stories in hockey and Elliot Friedman every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, the last time I've heard anybody make that big a deal about a game being called off as tied was the All-Star game in Milwaukee. Yep. Which was considerably different. That was uh, Atlanta's Cal Conley called out on a clock violation uh, for not being set in the batter's box in Saturday's Braves-Red Sox game. That game ended in a 6-6 tie. Well, they sort of needed that. Just to tell everybody, yeah, we'll do it. Yeah, We're going to do it. Yeah. I mean, look, Cal Conley, God love him, is in the Arizona Fall League. Played a ball last year. Hey, well, look, we 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 know the 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 whole sense of drama around the pitch clock is when you when when Mike Trout gets called for it in the ninth inning in that situation. Then we'll you know we'll have something to talk about. But look, uh, the pitch clock is here. Uh, the results, you know, I've done a lot of reading. Most people seem to be okay with the idea. It has definitely speeded up the game, although you. May not have noticed it in yesterday's Blue Jays game. Oh, I think John Schneider was right. Yesterday's game was 305. It would have been four hours under the, under the old rules. There was just, uh, there was a lot of Speed pitching. Speed up rules my ass. Yeah, exactly. That was John Schneider. Speed up rules <laughs> yeah. my ass. And we're going to hear that a lot this year. Uh, so the first weekend is in the books. Yeah. Jeff Passan is MLB insider <laughs> with ESPN. And he joins uh, us in Blair and Barker. Mr. Passon, always good to talk to you. As I said, the first weekend's in the books. Nobody, and there were no fist fights between umpires and men. Oh, well, Oliver Marmol and, and, uh, and C.B. Buckner. <laughs> C.B. Buckner. Yeah, that had nothing <laughs> to do with the pitch clock. Uh, but anyhow, uh, what, 
what did you like, what was your takeaway from this? I I watched a, a, as many games as I could, bits and pieces of them. And and Jeff, I I think guys kind of adapted to it. Yeah, I mean there were 69 violations in 35 games. That works out to 1.97 per game in the first week in the minor leagues last year when it was widely adopted, it was 1.73. So mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's in the vicinity. And by week six, it had gone down to like half a violation a game. So uh, the, the implementation during spring training, I think, has been important for a couple reasons. One, to get players used to it. But honestly, I think the people are, who are going to have a more difficult time getting used to it are fans because they've been shown over the last 25 years a baseball game that has gotten increasingly plotting, increasingly slow-paced, and increasingly longer. And the the numbers to me, I'm going to throw a few of these out there to you. Uh, The average spring training game in 2022, this isn't just the first couple days, but the average length uh, of the spring training game or average time was three hours and one minute. Take a guess what the average time guys was for the first 35 games played this spring. 238. Did you just get that or did you see <laughs> no, that? No, I saw, I he saw, saw it. He looked I, I read I think you said, you wrote about it. Yeah. Uh, so, 20, so 23 minutes there. Here are a few others. Uh, there have been only six games that have gone longer than three hours. Um, and the, the fewest runs scored – in one of those six games was 14. Mm -hmm. So I think it was 14, 17, 18, 18, 19, and 24, which is to suggest that if a bunch of runs scored, the game is going to be a little bit longer. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. At the same time, there have been 12 games that have been under two and a half hours. And Mm -hmm. two and a half hours, I think, in the minds of Major League Baseball is like the ideal time of game. Um, but, But more than anything, it has quickened the pace to an extent that if you haven't seen a pitch clock game before, it's kind of jarring. Yes. Right? Like, you know, it's jarring for for the three of us who are all old and who have seen baseball play. First time I've heard you include yourself with us aging individuals. No, no, no. I'm I'm there now, Blair. Am I not? This is dude. This is my 20th year covering baseball. That oh, qualifies nice. me, right? It does. Well, it does. Yeah, it qualifies you for something. <laughs> I mean, uh, the the fact that it's it's resembling baseball played in the 70s and 80s. Uh, my 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 one thing that I did not realize was going to happen at this point. I assumed the pissing and moaning was going to come from, you know, older fans mm-hmm. who are are romantic about baseball to the point where they would say baseball is the only game played without a clock and this is ruining that. Uh, what I didn't anticipate is that a lot of the complaining was going to come from like Gen Z because all they know about baseball is that it's this slow, methodical game. That's all they've ever seen before. So to see a game played like it was when we were growing up is is a shock to the system. Like it's, you know, there's some cognitive dissonance going on there, and they're the ones who I think are going to have to get more used to this than we are because to me this is like, oh, my God, it's, it's childhood all over again. It's awesome. I yeah. love this. Like I, I, the game is freaking moving. 
Yeah, my first, my, I, I had a couple of thoughts. One, you know, God love the color commentators. I mean, color commentators are, I mean, this is, it's going to take a while to adapt to this. Secondly, you know, I keep thinking to something Adam, uh, was it the NBA commissioner Adam Silver said to, to Rob Manfred like five years ago at a, at a, uh, at, at a panel discussion, why do you want to slow your game down? It's perfect for gambling. I was thinking about that. But the other thing you, or speed your game up, it's perfect for gambling to be slow. You talked about something yesterday, or on, on Twitter. Barker and I both talked about this. The one thing that bothered me, the only thing that bothered me, and it was on the Pirates telecast from Bradenton, is I could see the clock to the left of yep. home plate and the right of home plate. That bothered me. Now, and you're saying that in the, in Major League Stadiums, there will be no clock behind home plate, I think you said? There will be clocks behind home plate. They will just be out of the view of the camera. Ah, so okay. If, so, so if it's a right-handed pitcher who's, um, you know, working, well, you know, when a guy comes set, he's essentially sideways, yeah. um, perpendicular to the plate. Uh, the clock is going to be right within his view, whether he's left-handed okay. or right-handed, because there will be clocks on either side of the plate. They will just not be in the view of the center field camera. Okay, okay, that that makes sense. How, I, I mean, are we going to see? And I, I did see a couple of telecasts where you know the 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 timer was or the there was a bug the the bug on the screen that the the uh, network had put up had the pitch clock. Okay going and then would click yeah. red when there was are we going to see that do you think that's going to become standard i imagine it's going to be just like the shot clock in the nba and the mm-hmm. play clock in the nfl um we we are broadcasting our first game on espn today at one o'clock Mets cardinals yep and i i, I believe uh we're going to be rolling out i'm not sure if it's going to be like a fixed camera shot of the clock itself okay or if it's going to be a digitized version that that we make up but i'm almost positive that we're going to have the timer up there ourselves yes jeff how does umpires play in all this Uh, like i look the the, the conversation between players and umpires isn't good up until this point right and then you get an umpire saying seven six eight whatever he's going to be saying quietly it's not going to go well how's that conversation between the league the umpire the player you think has went so far I think it's been honestly really good. Like there haven't been any blowups over the clock or over defensive shifts. Um, I, I'm not sure that that's going to continue to carry over because we all know what the relationship, you know, among the players and the umpires is. It's not great. Nope. It's not always full of respect. Um, but the, the onus guys may be as much on the umpires as anyone here because not only are they the ones – who are are dictating uh, the the pace and enforcing it, but they're also able to just like wave off the clock and have it reset if they feel like something isn't going right or something's askew, and and so the the responsibility of the umpires continues to grow, and and I you know there there's this question that people when talking about uh, the automated ball strike robot umpire system will ask, which is if umpires aren't calling balls and strikes, what do they have to do? They have a lot to do now. And maintaining the pace of the game is going to be like the foremost responsibility for them uh, alongside calling balls and strikes accurately. 
Now, you, you broke the story about uh, Manny Machado's contract extension, 11 years, $350 million. Are you surprised that Manny would sign an extension and wouldn't go to free agency? And what does this do to the free agent market next year? I was a little surprised by it, but you go and look historically at uh, what guys who are Manny Machado's age get paid on extensions. He got free agent dollars without reaching free agency um, because Mookie Betts signed his mega deal when he was in his 20s. Mike Trout signed his mega deal when he was in his 20s. Uh, Manny Machado got $10 million total less than Aaron Judge, who mm. was going to free agency off of a historically great season. Uh, the fact that Machado was able to, to leverage his really good season into this, it, it made all the sense in the world for him to sign it. Um, it's, it's a very good deal for him. And uh, honestly, the, if you would have asked me four years ago, when it's all said and done, who's going to end up making more money, Manny Machado or Bryce Harper, the, the two big free agents of that class, I, I would have probably said Harper, even though you know he his deal his original deal thirteen years for three hundred thirty million was three years longer than Manny Machado's ten year three hundred million dollar deal. Uh, Machado, unless Harper is able to renegotiate, which he's probably not going to be able to because he doesn't have an opt out, Machado is going to get four hundred seventy million dollars from the Padres. I would have never ever anticipated Manny Machado. Uh, making nearly fifty percent more than Bryce Harper. Yeah, it is. Uh, it it is. It is something else. The uh, Jays announced today that they've hired James Click as vice president of baseball strategy, and uh, he's going to be part of the baseball operations leadership team. Um, he'll be working with Ross Atkins, department heads, and strategic planning, decision making, evaluation. Now, you know, look, uh, I I I kind of went went right away, went there right away, and said, well. You know, this is a general manager who's won a World Series. Mm-hmm. If I'm Ross Atkins, I'm looking at me, and I'm looking point. at him and going, I got a general manager who's won a World Series behind me. But I also realized that the Jays had Ben Charrington here for the longest time as well. And yep. he, he's a guy clearly, uh, you know, clearly with, with aspirations, was a guy to be, a, he was a GM, and he had aspirations to be a GM again. So, I, you know, Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins have hired those guys in the past. But what happened with James Click in Houston? And do you think like is is this just is he, is is this James Click taking a job until he gets another GM's job or do you think that perhaps there is something behind this from a Blue Jays point of view beyond you know sort of tapping into the secrets of a guy who worked for the Astros and the Rays which is not a bad thing. Yeah. I, no, it's not. I think anytime you can bring in somebody who's extremely talented and has won to your front office it doesn't even matter what his aspirations are. If you can learn from him for even a year and uh, he can learn from you for a year. It's a symbiotic relationship. And, you know, we've seen this with Ben Sherrington. Uh, th- this to me feels even more like Alex Anthopoulos, you know, when mm-hmm. he left, when he left the Jays, he went and he took his gap year with the, with the Dodgers and ended up with the Braves and won a world series. And, and I think that James click is, uh, a an extremely bright baseball mind and somebody who's worked for two, you know, if they are not the two most successful franchises, I guess you can't put the Rays there because they really haven't won a championship. But in terms of just taking dollars and stretching it as far as they can go, there is no team better than the Rays at doing that. So 
uh, James Click is coming off winning a World Series as a general manager and has worked for the team uh, that understands value better than anyone. Um, I'm hiring that guy every day, all day, especially because the circumstances under which he left, frankly, were really not his fault. Mm. That was the owner. That was Jim Crane uh, listening to other voices in the organization, former players who whose philosophies just didn't align with James Clicks, which is kind of hilarious to me because while I'm going to give Jeff Luno plenty of credit for uh, you know, loading that system with uh, a lot of the players who were part of the championship core in Houston. It's not like James Click came in there and didn't do anything and didn't put his stamp on the on the team. He did, and uh, he, he was very well liked uh, within the organization, and uh, is seen as somebody who is a future general manager because of the success that he's found in his past in the role. Jeff, really good of you to do this, my yeah. friend. Thanks so much. Thanks, buddy. Pleasure's always mine, boys. Take it easy. Enjoy that pitch clock. (laughs) Going to love it. Jeff Passan, ESPN MLB insider. Um, And a reminder that we'll have the Jays-Braves game from Northport. 107 on Sportsnet 590, the fan. So interesting uh, point made by Jeff Passan. James Click hired as VP of baseball strategy for the Blue Jays. Very could very well be the same thing that happened to Alex Anthopoulos when he left here. He went off to win a World Series ring with with the L.A. Dodgers and then went on to uh, to be the general manager. Uh, did he win? A, was he with the Dodgers and won the World Series? I think so. And then he went on to be general manager of the Atlanta Braves. And, of course, he, I just he, to tell he you won a World how Series important this season Braves. is for the Blue Jays, trying to get as many minds in here as possible. Yeah. You're trying to help your team win well, a championship. Jeff's right. That's what it's about, right? Jeff's right. There's nothing wrong with uh, – I mean, you've got that, that – that knowledge sitting out there. Why not? Why not tap into it? Uh, you know, and um, yeah, as I said, it's just people are going to people. If the Jays get off to a lousy start. There are going to be some questions asked about things around this team. That's oh, all. No question. And it, the it, amount of money you spent warrants that. Yeah, you didn't spend money to. Lose. Lose. <laughs> no. Uh, so we asked folks on uh, on Twitter, and uh, we do have our, our phone line set up. I will, uh, I'll tweet out the number for tomorrow. Oh, it's not set up. Sorry. Okay. When we get it set up, I'll tweet out the number, and uh, you, guys, you guys or women, listeners, can call up and uh, leave your question of the day for us or questions or comments, and we'll pluck out the good ones and put them on the air. Uh, but I asked the question on social media, just a general soliciting people's comments on the pitch clock in general after a weekend. And it's, it's interesting because I'm looking at two, three, four, five. There's, there's nine responses to the pitch clock where people didn't like it, but but they didn't like it, not because of what it was doing to the game. They were looking at the Pirates telecast in particular and didn't like, they, they found, people like, like you know, David and Mississauga said, I missed, the, I missed an inning because I was watching the pitch Me clock. Me too. Right? And, I'm with and, that. And, and that seems, that all the feedback, the negative feedback I'm getting is related to 
how it was presented. And I think that's going to be a challenge for people in in, in, in the industry. Anything you know? to help my 10-year-old son try and get through a complete game. I had no chance with a three-hour game. I got a decent yeah, I, decent chance at 2.30. Yeah, I... At look, two hours and 30 minutes, I got a decent chance of my son making it through a complete game being 10 years old. I want that. Yeah, I'm... I listen, want that. I, I, you know, I'm with you. I, I, the, the length of game was not an issue for me ever, but I'm, I'm not... I'm not the target demographic anymore. Nope. And I understand why it's in play. I like what it's done. As I said, I watched four or five games almost in their entirety this weekend. And I, I liked it, but man, it, it did. You know, I'm that, that pirates game. I, I like, I'm like David. I spent the first, I spent the first inning, inning and a half waiting for the clock to go off, you know? And that's, uh, I mean, we're going to have to, we're, we're probably going to have to learn, a whole, I wouldn't say a whole new way of watching baseball, but it's certainly something that's going to take a while getting used to. But, you know, if the players can get used to it, we can get used to it. Well, they get paid a lot more money to ignore it <laughs> than we do. That's true. Blue Jays baseball on the radio this afternoon. Ben Wagner has the call from Northport. The Jays take on the Atlanta Braves. The Jays are 1-1 one one through the first two games of the Grapefruit League season. We'll be back tomorrow on Sportsnet 590, the fan Sportsnet 360. As always, wherever you get your favorite podcast, please rate and review. Most importantly, have yourself a great day.